Now, it's my privilege. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors on the team here as well. And uh, for those who are online this morning, welcome to you as well. Um, We're going back to Timothy uh, as we uh, continue in the series. And uh, for those who have been away for a few weeks and uh, those who are just joining us online, we're up to chapter 4 and just the end of chapter 4. If you've got a Bible there or you've got a phone and you want to get it out, uh, the ubiquitous phone that's everywhere. But before we get into it, uh, I just want to kind of highlight something and see if you can kind of get this or you can enter into this in some way or another. So um, the Bible is full of instructions. We got that? Um, it's full of uh, commands and rules and laws and all sorts of things. And mostly, they're pretty easy to understand uh, when they come true, like this one. It says, bear with each other, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, they're all pretty easy and pretty straightforward, really, when you kind of read them. Uh, you don't need any special tools. You don't need any special gifts or abilities. Uh, you just need to do it. So it should be pretty easy, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. Um, it's easy until it meets with real life. You know, this one particularly, this one about forgiving. It's easy to read that, but it's much harder to do when someone actually transgresses against you, when someone sins against you, when someone hurts you in some way. It's much harder to actually forgive in that case. And I want to suggest that unless you have a predetermined um, response or a predetermined commitment to forgive, it's actually almost impossible to forgive because of our nat- natural response to want justice. Or to, when I say justice, I mean us giving out that justice, um, us metering it out in that sense. We, we want retribution or we want revenge in those times, not forgiveness. And so I, I want to suggest that unless we have a commitment to these things, in the moment, it's very hard to actually go through with it. Now, I'll tell you a story. There was a guy I knew a long time ago now um, who'd just become a Christian, and I got involved. He was a young adult. I got involved with doing a bit of discipleship uh, and mentoring with this young guy. Now, he'd had a really difficult relationship with his dad, and his dad had left his mum when he was only like four or five or something like that, um, and had this really uh, conflictual relationship with his dad. And then we were talking, and he was really bitter and angry about it. Uh, and we were chatting and saying, look, you, you have to forgive you have to give this up. It's actually hurting you, not him. And this thing, and, and then this happens, right? All the yeah, buts. Yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but you didn't have to live with it. Yeah, but God wouldn't want me to actually just let it go. There should be justice. He should pay. You know, and all these what ifs and yeah, buts kick in. So we have these internal barriers that start to emerge when these types of uh, directives from the scriptures meet real life. And that's why they're difficult. And not only internal ones, there's external ones as well. There's people around us who would agree that, yeah, some people should pay. Now, I was chatting to someone just the other day, in fact, and they told me about something that happened in their family quite a while back um, and which they struggled to forgive. But they had a commitment to the scriptures and to God and to following through with this. And so they were trying to process that. And they told a couple of workmates... Now, their workmates weren't Christians, and their workmates said, oh, we can sort him out. (laughs) And he said to me, he said, these were serious guys, and I had no doubt that they would love to go and give this guy a beating. You know, it would be just in their nature to get together and say, hey, let's work out this thing. Let's get him and give him a good flogging to teach him a lesson. You know, now, when you've got that going on and you feel like yourself, you're struggling to forgive, it's hard not to say, yeah, yeah, go, do it. 
you know. And even as I heard the story, I was thinking, jeepers, I would be, be hard-pressed from throwing a few punches myself hearing that story, you know. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is this. If, if we don't have a commitment already, a pre-existing commitment, in the moment, it's hard to actually follow through with these uh, directives and instructions from the Scriptures. All right, now... If you understand that and you get that and you can feel that, I think you'll get um, a a greater insight into what's going on at the end of chapter 4 with Paul talking to Timothy or writing to Timothy. So let's have a look at this and see what we can say about it. All right, um, from verse 11 at the end of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, if you're following along in your own Bible or at home. Um, So we've got this, it says, Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, what's interesting about that, at the end of the thing, is it's a whole lot of instructions, a whole lot of commands and the directives from Paul to Timothy in that. In actual fact, um, a couple of commentators say there's 21 21 directives in these five verses by the the structure of the Greek grammar in this uh, and they're in the imperative voice and the way it's phrased. There's 21, they say, in this thing. Now, isn't that fascinating? Why would Paul actually give so many of these at the end of chapter 4 all in one little spot here? What's actually going on? Now, just to give you an example of the kind of thing. So I couldn't find 21 myself. Uh, I'd, there was a lot of explain, explaining to get 21 out of it. But here's 10 that I found that were pretty straightforward and pretty simple. It says, command and teach these things. That's two. The command and the teach are both in the imperative voice. Do not let anyone set an example. Devote yourself. Do not neglect. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly. Watch your life and doctrine. Persevere in them. And so you've got this whole thing. They're building one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. This kind of pressure building towards Timothy. And what's actually going on here? Well, I actually think what it is, is that very same thing I was just talking about. He's actually saying to Timothy, you've got to be 100% committed to this stuff. You've got to give yourself to it wholly. You can't wait till the moment. You've got to be completely committed to it. Because there's all sorts of external and internal pressures going uh, on in Timothy's life and in Ephesus. Now, if you know from Acts, there's a lot of opposition to the gospel in Ephesus. There's uh, people who are trying to get rid of them uh, and get them out of the town. They don't like what's going on. So there's all sorts of stuff going on, all sorts of pressure on Timothy and the new church in Ephesus. And then we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, some of the external pressures we got Paul at the start of the chapter where he says, you know, they follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So I mentioned a few weeks back, we have these spiritual powers that are against us. The principalities and powers of darkness, which are against Timothy and the church. And so they are putting pressure on. They can't change the fact that Jesus lived, died and rose again, but they can distract people away. 
They can actually sway people from actually taking hold of it. And, null- and in fact, that nullifies the life, death and resurrection of Christ. So there's these kind of spiritual forces at work against Timothy. There's also, we mentioned a few weeks back, these hypocritical liars who are swaying people away. And they're quite persuasive because we see from chap- in the, earlier in the chapter that some were leaving the faith because of these persuasive characters. Now, you can be guaranteed that they are also having arguments against why Timothy and the church is wrong as they get around, why they've misunderstood the Old Testament, why this whole thing about Jesus isn't right. And they'll be trying to sp- spread that around the whole of Ephesus um, as Timothy and the church try to talk about Christ. And so there's these external pressures on them at this point. And it's easy to be discouraged in that environment. It's easy to kind of feel like there's too much pressure to just keep quiet. Just keep your head down. Just survive it. Don't put yourself out there because you're likely to get beaten. Um, Well, not metaphorically beaten. Could have been physically as well in, in that day. And then not only that, Timothy's also facing some of these Um, cultural pressures that weren't specifically directed at Timothy, but that were used against him. And so you get that passage there where Paul says, do not let anyone look down on you because you were young. And so there's this sense of, Timothy, who are you to tell anybody anything? You're just a boy. I mean, he was probably in his early 30s, but culturally in that sense, uh, in that era, a young man in their 30s, didn't know enough, hadn't got a lot, enough life experience to be telling anyone else how to live their life. And so there's this cultural pressure on Timothy as well. Keep quiet, shut up. And I'm sure that his detractors were using that as a way of dismissing Timothy and what he was teaching and what he was trying to do there in Ephesus. So there's all these external pressures and also cultural pressures, which no doubt led to a whole stack of internal doubts for Timothy. And we can, as we go through the book of Timothy, you can see that there's some underlying thin, thing there in Timothy that Paul's trying to talk to. Right? This whole internal doubt about, is this the right thing to do? Should I be speaking out? Should I be the one talking about this stuff? Am I too young? Should I just keep quiet till I'm another 10, 15, 20 years older? There's all sorts of stuff going on here. And Paul is trying to say with this, this building up, these 21 directives in this short little passage, he's saying you've got to be 100% committed to this, Timothy. If you think about it like this, no matter what the external opposition is, have we got that slot? No matter how hard it looks, you've got to have a commitment to this because those oppositions will keep coming. They won't go away. Now, partly I'm telling you all this because why is it relevant to us today? What is the overall message of this for Timothy, for us in the 21st century? Well, we face a lot of external pressures as well. There's a lot of people out there who don't want Christianity and the gospel to go forward. There are people who are opposed to it. When I was a chaplain back a long time, a long time ago now, um, back in Queensland in high school, I was on a committee that was working with the government um, with RE in school. But there were people on that committee who had been actively trying to get um, Christianity out of school for 20 years. And that was 30 years ago. So for 50 years, they would probably, or they're still probably, trying to get RE out of schools in Queensland. And I know that's happened uh, in Victoria as well. And so there are people out there who are opposed to the gospel and opposed to Christianity. And you get this. Um, Let's have a look at this one. 
Um, this is Bertrand Russell. said, I say quite deliberately that the Christian religion as organized in its churches has been and still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. And Bertrand Russell has had a large sway in the secular culture. And not only that in terms of the, the moral um, position, but structurally there's been all sorts of opposition to Christianity and the second and third wave feminism who have put out some pretty significant and scathing reviews of the church. So this book, uh, Christianity and Patriarchy and the Abuse, a feminist critique. Now I'm not saying that there, there isn't a case to be had in some of these things. But what I'm saying is there are people who are committed to stopping the church from going forward. There are people externally who want to see us fail and, and the gospel fail in that sense. Um, now, we also have part of our culture now and part of the secular culture is this whole thing where it says, um, keep your religion to yourself. Right? If you want to have a faith, that's okay. You have a faith. But don't talk about it in public. Keep it out of the public realms. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want to know about it. And so there's a whole kind of cultural expectation uh, out there. Like in Timothy's day, he was too young to talk about it. In our day, it's don't talk about it because it's not relevant to anyone except you. It's a personal matter. Keep it to yourself. And so there's all these external pressures on us as well, which then creates some internal doubts. There's no doubt, and I've chatted to lots of people about this, there's no doubt that people in their workplaces have actually kept quiet about Jesus because they're afraid of the repercussions. They're afraid that they'll look foolish. They're afraid that people will target them as some sort of religious nutcase. And I have no doubt there's plenty of people here who have experienced that pressure to keep quiet and not talk about Jesus. But what Paul is trying to do here, and what I think is relevant to us today, is we need to be in that same sense we have a predisposition and a commitment, no matter what the external pressures are, to actually do these two things that Paul is telling Timothy to do in 1 Timothy here. And the two things are, let's have a quick look at these. The first one is this. Um, command and teach these things and devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures and preaching and teaching. Now, what that actually means is command and teach these things is actually the whole thing about Jesus' life, death and resurrection and that salvation comes via giving yourself to Christ, not through anything you do personally. It isn't through uh, your works or whether or not you follow certain teachings of the, um, the false teachers who are in Ephesus, but it comes through Christ and his death and resurrection. So that's what he means when he says, teach these things. It's the gospel. And obviously it was foolishness to the Gentiles um, and a stumbling block to the Jews. So there was all sorts of reasons why Timothy could have said, I'm not going to say anything. But Paul is saying, teach these things no matter what. And the public reading of scriptures was the only way people were going to hear about it. Uh, remember back in the day, uh, not everyone had a scripture or are a Bible, are very hard to come by. It was very expensive to actually get the paper and also the pens and get it written out. So the public reading of Scripture was this whole thing about committed to making sure the gospel was getting out there somehow, some way. Now, today we all have Bibles and all that sort of stuff. So the, the, the current thing might be that we actually get out and share that with people. Share with others what we're discovering in the Bible. Talk about it when we're meeting with people. Talk about what you might have read in your Bible today with the people at your workplace and at the coffee shop and wherever you go. So that's the first thing, being committed to the proclamation of the gospel no matter what the opposition. 
And then the second thing is, it's not just a matter of words. And this is brilliant, actually. Um, and intuitively, we all get it, right? The second thing Paul is saying here to Timothy is, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. So this whole thing is, it's not a matter of just words, right? There's got to be something that follows that up in our lives. There's got to be something that points to that in our actions that actually says we are committed to this, not just in word, but in deed. And our lives itself then starts to reflect the gospel. And that's what Paul is getting at. Make sure you do these things as well, Timothy. Don't be persuaded by these false teachers to do whatever you like. Continue to actually grow and set an example in love and purity and in speech and in these things. That's what, in that way, people will see that you are 100% committed to this and they will see the power of it. Now, why is it that the two, the two groups, why is it that the Salvos are so loved in Australia? Because of their actions. Because their words match their deeds, in that sense. And the same is true of us. If your words and deeds match, then you have a far greater chance of actually getting through and explaining what you mean to people when you talk about Christ than when they don't. Now, I've got to add something to that. Right? that that's one thing. And then the other thing is people in history. Why is it people in history who are made into saints? Like Mother Teresa. What is it about that? It's because the words and the actions matched. Right? And that's the commitment we need to have in the same, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many obstacles there are coming our way, we need to commit ourselves prior to the situation happening to actually be proclaiming the gospel and living it out in our lives, no matter how hard it is. Now, I love what Paul does here at the end. All right? Let's have a look at this because it's, it can be daunting when you hear that about being committed to actually living out the gospel because who of us ever gets it 100% right? Yeah. If you're like me, probably no one. All right. Look what Paul says here. Let's have a look. It says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. I love what Paul does here. He's realistic. He's not talking about being perfect. He's talking about making progress towards being Christ-like. And that's the important part here. Commit yourself, Timothy, saying... Give yourself 100% to this so that people will see your progress. The journey of sanctification or the journey of becoming more like Jesus is long. And we never quite reach it until God takes us to be with him in glory. But people can see our progress. And it makes a difference. When I first became a Christian, right, I, I didn't grow up in the church. My family wasn't religious. And so I was out on the wild side, right, and, but didn't think anything of it. I thought that was the way you should live. Uh, when I got converted, I had a dramatic change in my life. Now, I wasn't perfect. I was still a mess, really, when I look back. But my life changed dramatically. And in actual fact, my brothers and sisters, because I'd moved out of home uh, at the time, I moved back home once I got converted. Now, my brothers and sisters thought I was trolling my mum. They thought I was winding her up, pretending to be a Christian and saying I'd got saved. And it was about three days later, my younger brother said, oh, you can cut it out now. It's not funny anymore. And I went, it's not. It's true. I've changed. This is real. He couldn't believe it. And my older brother, he couldn't believe it. Either. He said, did they drug you? Is, it, is there something happened? What, what, what's going on? 
Anyway, because something had happened in me, my older brother decided he would come to our youth camp that I went on. Um, he decided to come along. And then he got converted while he was there because he saw all these other people whose lives were very different to his and to the way I had been. And then, so my brother and I were both Christians living at home. And then my sister couldn't believe that these two, you know, uh, rascal boys had now kind of sorted themselves out a bit and they were kind of getting life together a bit. And so then she decided she wanted to find out what it was all about and started reading the Bible. And then she got converted. It was kind of crazy. And then my dad, who when I first started talking about Jesus, would just get up and walk away and say, don't talk about that. I don't want to hear about it. You know? uh, and he would just walk off. It wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even let me finish a sentence. Anyway, then my sister and my, my older brother and I all converted now. And I should say my mum got converted about three years earlier. Um, but I wasn't living at home at that point and I just made fun of her. Sorry about that, mum, if you're watching online. Um, all right. Then my dad couldn't believe that my sister and my two brothers and his two sons, two older sons, had changed so dramatically. And so then he ends up finding God as well in the whole thing. This progress. We weren't perfect, but we made progress. And then my younger brother couldn't stand living with all these Christians, so he left. (laughs) And then out of God's grace, uh, about a year and a half later, he needed a flatmate in the house he was living in. So I went and actually lived in that house with him. And then about six months later, he came to the Lord as well. So that was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, yeah. But I can guarantee you it wasn't the words by themselves. It was the words and the actions together, the transformation, the progress that I'd made and my brothers and sisters. And, and you will notice that as well. You see the progress in the people around you. And so that's what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. If you do these things, if you're committed 100% to the gospel, um, if you don't worry about what the obstacles are, and if you keep on progressing in this, people will see it and it will have a powerful effect. And he says this, uh, and he finishes with this, and this is why this is so important. And I said this a couple of weeks back. In verse 16 where it says, Watch your life and doctrine c- closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your, yourself and your hearers. Now, Paul is not saying here that somehow Timothy's works are going to save him. What he's actually talking about is the fact that you are committed to Christ and you're 100% relying on Christ's life, death, and resurrection, not yourself. Uh, And you are telling others about that. And in that way, people will find salvation. What's the thing in Romans? It says, how will they know unless we go? How will they know unless we tell them? How will they hear unless we go? Salvation comes by hearing the word of the Lord. And so we've got this thing here. We've got to go. We've got to talk about it because eternity is at stake. We can't forget that. People's eternal destinies are at stake. So when we're feeling timid and intimidated and feeling like if I speak up, maybe people will laugh at me. If I speak up, maybe people will reject me. If I start talking about Christ, maybe people will label me as some sort of religious nutter. People's eternal destinies are at stake. Paul knows that. It's one of the things we struggle with because it's not a popular thing to talk about in the world today. People, And that's one of the criticisms of Christianity by those outside, that we've got this judgment thing hanging over us. But that's because we have a just God. And he won't let sin go unpunished. It has to be given account for. And so people's eternal destiny is at stake. 
That's why this is so important. That's why we've got to be 100% committed to it. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy this. So let's kind of round it up and pull it together. What am I saying? What do we need to do? So for us today, you want to throw that slide up? We've got to go all in. All right? 100% committed. No matter what the opposition is, no matter what people are going to say about you and about the gospel and about Jesus. Because the only thing that's going to save us is Christ, not what other people think of us. It's what Christ has done for us. So we've got to go in 100%, fully committed to being the people of God, no matter what people say about us or think about us. And what are the two things we need to do? Well, we need to tell the world about Jesus. Just start talking about it. Any opportunity you get. Now, don't be obnoxious. There's a difference between just naturally talking about Jesus. When people say, what did you do on the weekend? So, oh, I was at church. It was great. Great preacher. Great music. <laughs> but talk about it, you know. Even if you have the chance, if there's something relevant about what was said about this whole thing. Um, maybe not today so much, but in other services. Um, and just start talking about it wherever you get the opportunity to do that. Because we are the people of God and this message of Christ matters. And then the second thing is to commit ourselves to living a life that actually is congruent with the gospel and with being the people of God. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It's about progress in that sense. But commit yourself to it 100%. Don't wait for the moment when you say, should I or shouldn't I? Already have a commitment in your mind to going down the path of being more and more like Jesus, no matter what the opposition, no matter how hard it is. And you'll be surprised at how much progress you'll make over the years. Now, when I look back to when I first became a Christian, uh, and when I was thinking about it just before, I was still a mess, really. But God was gracious. Now, I am still a long, long way from being, in that sense, like Jesus in every way. But I'm closer now than I was 40 years ago. And my dad, my mum, could easily list off a whole stack of things where they've seen I've changed. And Kathy, my wife, could probably tell you some as well um, over the last 20 years of being married, or 30 years being married. So what I want to say is just pick one of those things. Pick speech, pick love, pick compassion, pick kindness. Pick one of them to actually progress in and just start. And you'll be surprised at how much you'll grow as you focus on that. And the Spirit of God is at work in you. So they're the three things. 100% all in. Look for any opportunity you can to teach and preach. That's what he said to Timothy. But just talk about Jesus. And then commit yourself to living a life like Christ. That's what's so important about this end part of Timothy chapter 4. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for Paul and the person he was, is. This message that comes through in Timothy, this repeated kind of focus on continuing to preach the gospel no matter what the difficulties is, no matter how much opposition comes their way. And Father, we thank you today for those who actually paid the ultimate price of giving their life for the gospel so that we can be here today. We are the beneficiaries of those who were 100% all in. Father, help us to be like that as well. Help us to be those people, 100% all in with the people of God and just keep walking with you. Amen.